So have you seen what you look like as a woman yet on Snapchat? No, but I, there was a uh, Hacker News blog post breaking it down. It was the Asian guy. Yeah, yeah, it's so cool. Super isn't interesting. It? Yeah, yeah. I've seen what I look like as a woman. Yeah, pretty cute. You know, some guys are actually taking their pictures of themselves as women and putting it on Tinder (laughs) and seeing how many girls ask them out. That is, by the way, that's like the most guy thing ever. Like, dude, I totally got, I got more Tinder matches than you did. I saw one of them tweet and they're like, gosh, how do girls deal with so much attention? (laughs) Humble, humble brag. Isn't that funny though? Like maybe that's something that, maybe that would be a good step in a young man's educational uh, life you know as an adolescent you get a taste of what women have to deal with because you know we always talk about it, but we don't actually we'll, we'll never know yeah you like, open, we always open. like to joke about that we know what but we actually don't at all no what if you could walk around the city and everyone else could see you with the filter on that'd be pretty bad though because then it's just like you'd stop knowing what if like half the people in the office are the opposite gender what they look like over there all right we're getting into dark territory here huh well, I mean, no, this is like a good, like, we could move to like this, like AR world or like the Sims. I mean, you look at this thing, they actually do a pretty good job. I mean, the algorithm works better on some people than others. Wait, hold on. Hold on. I did it on my girlfriend. And she looks like this Guido guy from New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> she really doesn't like it, but it's so funny. <laughs> that's, that's another thing. It seems like something that like dudes would love to do, yeah. but then like women would be like, also like 50 people probably like head down on this thing for a year. This algorithm. <laughs> it's like, you guys want to work on curing cancer? No, I don't think that'll be as popular. Dude, I got this idea. I wanted to, I look like a chick when I hold up my phone and open Snapchat. It's like cancer can wait. We'll, we'll put that down the backlog. We'll, we'll talk about that next year. Wait. So I, I have, a, I have questions. <laughs> it got, it was able to like get rid of your beard. Yeah. And, everything. and it gives, it gives women stubble too. <laughs> you know, it like gives them a little bit of that and it follows your hair too. So I was like, I had come back from the gym and my hair was messed up and it was like kind of parted back cause I had worn a hat and the hair, it made my hair, well, it already is long, but it made it even longer. Um, and it would like follow your hairline too. So you could like look at it in real time and turn your face and oh, wow. it would like follow it. It was pretty crazy. I mean, what, ab- what about for, for people uh, that might not have any hair? <laughs> that are chal- more challenged? Hair challenged. Area? Yes. No, it adds it. It, it adds, adds it. it. Wow. Yeah. So you could see what you would look like with luscious long locks, but also if you were a woman. Very interesting. <laughs> it's really cool though. Um, but yeah, like they, you've seen that video where they like, oh, they make Obama say something he never said and it just makes his face and voice do it yeah yeah that was that was a couple a, years ago yeah a year or two is that ago. A ted thing i don't think so but it does when you look at this thing you're like eventually this is going to be so high fidelity i mean it's like if you look at uh cinematic sequences of, of video games from 10 or 15 years ago and then today yeah. it's incredible so once this thing has 10 or 15 years on it you're just not going to be able to believe anything you see on the internet anymore at all maybe we can completely automate our ember map videos <laughs> And not even have to record them. Oh, that's pretty interesting. Like o- Obama could make an Ember Map video. <laughs> Get people with like a really nice accent. I've said that to my friends before. Like I have some friends from church who have like this like silky smooth like Brit- British Brit- accent. Yeah, I was say like, British people. You, you want a side job, man? I got a lot of scripts <laughs> I need to record. If you want to sign up, I'll pay you 50 cents per hour. He said no. (laughs) (laughs) But if I collected a sample of his voice without him knowing, I would have to pay him zero cents an hour. (laughs) 
exploitation of you can just ask him like really weird questions to get like the specific (laughs) words to be able to like make the script yeah how would you say the word and you like spell it out or some trick thing that's funny (laughs) okay well this is a a podcast about programming it's yeah it's a it's you know i like um i've been listening to copy paste repeat a lot and I think they call it like a bad podcast about programming, which is great because it gives them license to just talk about whatever they want to, nice. even though they end up talking about programming stuff. It's a great podcast. Um, they talk about burnout in the recent episode. It was really interesting. Um, it reminded me of like our discussion about open source stuff and, um, you know, motivation and like incentives and, and all that good stuff. So it was pretty interesting. Um, and how th- I think their main point was like burnout is not as obvious or apparent as people usually talk about it. Like people usually say, oh, when you overwork yourself, you get burned out, but it's not really like that. And the symptoms aren't always the same either. Interesting. So it's not, you don't have to work a lot of hours, but you could still burn out. Yeah. You could be working like six hours a day. You could be working for yourself. Um, and so you're not subject to the normal things you think about as, as being burnout, like eight hour weeks or whatever. It's mm-hmm. like one of the main things is like a values mismatch between you and the organization you're working at. So like, even if you're not being overworked in your mind, you're like, Oh, I have a good manager. They care about me. Like the value, they don't overwork me. And like, you know, but if there's a deeper values mismatch, then, um, you try to rationalize it for a long time, but then it can lead to a form of burnout where you don't feel motivated to do the things you used to do. And you know, it's again, it's also like kind of like depression, but kind of not, it's it's different. And the ways it's different from like being overworked and being depressed are why it's tricky to identify. And usually you don't find out about until late later. Interesting. But then there's also this thing they talk about where it, there's like, it takes 25% of the time it took to get burned out to recover. So it's a good, that's a pretty optimistic note they end on. Because mm. by the time you realize you're burned out, it's too late in a sense. It's It happened six months ago. But if all of it happened at once, if the values mismatch was so strong that it all happened at once, you would say, I'm never going to do that. But because it happens in small ways over time, it builds up. It's like a frog boiling. Interesting. In, yeah. in yep. a pot, you know. It happens slowly over time. So once you realize it, you can fix a situation and get out of it quickly. But it's pretty interesting. I've definitely been felt sometimes where you you feel not motivated to do things that would normally make you happy because maybe you're preoccupied with work or thinking about something. And, and it was interesting hearing them and hearing some of the things that I resonated more strongly with me. Whereas I've never been in a situation where I've been super overworked, you know, mm-hmm. and been like, oh, this is clearly a bad working situation. I think it's more of the kind of subtle things that they were talking about have been my challenges. I have a question with that. Is there like, is there like a checklist of things that like values mismatch, overwork that you, you want to look for? Or is it more you look for like a checklist of like symptoms? symptoms. I think they have both. Okay. I think they have, um, there are some paper that they reference <clears throat> that has like the six main contributing factors and then they also talk about the symptoms and um yeah the symptoms are are you know books and movies that you normally enjoy you don't feel like doing it you don't have energy to like play a game you just want to like lay in your bed and watch youtube because it's you literally don't have gas in the tank to do those other things 
And um, yeah, I've definitely been there for sure. Where you just wanted something mindless, you know? <laughs> it's dark. Yeah. So it was very interesting. Hmm. Yeah, we'll put a link to copy, paste, repeat podcast in the show notes because I think it's a great podcast for all programmers. They talk about a wide range of programming things. Awesome. What you been working on? Uh, well, I was on vacation last week, which means nothing. <laughs> Where'd you go? California. Oh, that's big, right. Big Sur. It was unbelievable. So we go I again. Um, would Big Sur again? I would. I don't. I don't think Katie would. Uh, just. I think I'm more of like the outdoors. Yeah. Hiking. Just get lost in the mountains. You got to sprinkle some good indoor time in there. Yeah. For the both of you. Yeah. Exactly. But uh, it's definitely something we both wanted to do, and it was like it was super awesome. That's so, cool. Yeah, highly recommend. Nice. Um, I've been working on Mirage stuff. 1.0 next week, next Wednesday. 1.0. Nice. Committing. It. We're committing to yeah. a date. Committing so the day this podcast comes out. Yeah, that's true. Today, Ember Mirage 1.0 will be released. What? Um, so since the last release, what's new in 1.0? Since the last 0.4 release. Yeah. Yeah. 0.415. We, uh, I'm going to put, oh, that's one, you just reminded me of one thing I need to do. Thursday. <laughs> just, I need to roll up all of the changes across the 1.0 beta 1, 2, and 3 into a single place on the website. I already have most of them there. I just need to add one more thing, I think. But basically, the it's basically stabilizing the existing APIs, and then we're removing Faker, so that's a breaking change, but we have a code mod for that. Most people said it worked out great. And um, a few more bug fixes. Right now, there's no open bugs and um, I just redid the docs. I just did a once over of the docs. I didn't rewrite everything, but just made sure it all made sense and there was some cohesion across the entire thing because up until now, most of the docs have grown organically since like four years ago when the project started. Yeah, those are really cool. I, I really liked you added a section for, um, it was like integration and unit testing. And I really, really like that. You had some cool code examples in there. Cool, thanks. Yeah, it's been a big gap and that's something we wanna work on with 1.0 out the door and just get a nicer API in there for that kind of thing. Yeah. So, but it's good. There's escape patches and nothing's blocking people now, but I think sometimes, especially when they start, people run into that all the time. So it's good to have some examples up there in the guides. Nice. We were just having an interesting conversation earlier here today where we're talking about rail seeds and, um, Mirage database state. So it's kind of interesting. People always talk about the double edged sword where when you make a change to an Ember app powered by Mirage, as soon as you save a change and reload, the database state is reset completely, right? Mm-hmm. So um, it's double-edged because you always get a clean slate, but then sometimes you just want to toggle an admin thing and save it. Or like you have a form, and it's like a four-step form. Right. And then you You, you spend all this time creating all this data, and then like... You remove a white space in a component, yeah. hit save, yeah. and then you're like all tab. You're like, God. Yes. So... There's a couple of things there. Like it'd be cool. First of all, that just made me think of like hot reloading would be a w- good way to solve that if you're developing and you have that. Now, what happens usually for us when we're in that situation is we write a test yep. to replay that state, which is good because it's there in the test. And then the other thing is like, well, what if I'm developing and I just create this dummy data and I like want it to save, but you reload and all of it goes away. So then what? you do is you're okay i need to encode this in the server like seeds area and so you go back to like this scenario's default file and like you make me make a new little function or you just tweak some of the server creates there 
So you're encoding that scenario that you care about into that file. And so that when you push it up, everyone else has it. And it didn't, I didn't realize it until kind of dawned on me during our conversation earlier that like, there's something really good about that because everybody, everyone's development environment is basically reproducible, identical. It's basically stateless mm-hmm. because you don't need any state. There's, there's no state associated. It's all in the code. Right. Um, what is the term? Uh, ephemeral. Yeah. Is a term yeah. they used to yeah, describe yeah, servers yeah. like yep. this. And it's true. It's yep. And whereas what often happens when you do like Rails development, since you have a stateful artifact that you're developing against, namely uh, the database that uh, you make changes to and it persists. And so it's very easy for you to make something that works in your machine and then doesn't elsewhere, or it's hard to tell the other person how you got into that state, right? Yeah. Or someone asks you how you did that and you just turn to them and you're like, oh yeah, just, just, uh, just do this, this, and this. Right. It always starts with just. Right, just, right, right. Just make, that, just make that person an admin. <laughs> so, you know, you were talking about some of the best practices in Rails being um, in the same way that you can do it in Mirage, you can encode a good default d- development scenario into Cs. You can even do multiple um, scenarios if you wanted to organize your code that way, such that when someone pulls it down or even someone's already been developing, if they want to just basically the equivalent of resetting, you can run rake db reset, which is going to drop, make your database, and seed it with that stuff. And best practice, I guess, is like you're always in a state where you can do that. You should never care. If your database, your development database got wiped out, it shouldn't be like, oh, I just lost this very precious configuration that was helping me develop. Like That's a sign that you have some little problem in your workflow because that's a stateful artifact that lives in your computer. It shouldn't be your development workflow shouldn't be dependent on it and, and we've seen this just just we've seen this with production servers right like stateless um production servers are easy to deploy they're easy to throw away they're easy to spin up multiple instances like the whole 12 factor app strategy for for running apps and productions like it works really well right um immutable right. production servers so it's sh- it it makes sense like this idea right. should apply to our development environment right 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 exactly right because it's the same, the same thing we're spinning it, up a new de- environment exactly yep in the same way, if you and sometimes you do need seeds for production, right? Sometimes you need to start out your app with some rows in the database, and yep. you want to put those in the seeds file, and you want those to be idempotent, so you can run that thing over and over again. All the same things that you would do. I just I just did this a few weeks ago with uh, currencies. I'm working on an app that has to deal with multiple currencies, and we have a just idempotent find or create by basically yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. I just added that to Mirage actually because I needed it for a video. Cool. And then in the Ember Matt video, it's like, if you're on a recent version of Mirage, it's like, actually, if you're on like the one I just published five minutes ago, it's like complete lie. <laughs> it's like complete. It's like a, the biggest white lie ever. <laughs> it's like, if you're uh, obviously find a create by, it's been here forever. It's like, that's what you get to do when you're the maintainer. Nice. Um, so that made us kind of just think, it's kind of an interesting thought experiment, like how it's kind of that double-edged sword in Mirage turns out to nudge you towards a good, pattern building because you're always over time making that development scenario higher and higher fidelity yeah and and you're also thinking about it like oh yeah i need a user that's that's a a subscriber so what what is that is that like a trait is that do i put that in the seed do i put all that data in the seed file it's like no i should make this a trait i know i'm going to use this in a test i know i'm going to want to reuse this yep yeah really it nudges you towards towards like getting the seed data correct where with rails i i don't i mean i don't do that I, with right. rails i go into rails console or database and i 
flip a few bits and it works and I move on. Right. Totally. And then like, also you might develop for a while and then things change enough. And you're like, Oh, I'll just blow away my database and start over again. But like, you should be able to do that and still have a good working set of data. Yeah. Well, one, one thing here is like, you're, I mean, you're saying that, the the whole being forced because your Mirage database resets on every page because it's ephemeral mm-hmm. yeah and because you're constantly reloading the app through development right it's actually a good thing because you get better factories right right, you're right. like it forces you to actually think about these things um and the same thing with a uh, production you know 12 factor app servers every time we deploy we get a brand new box a brand new there's no leftover artifacts from the last deploy mm-hmm. um so i mean by that logic can we do like every time you run rails s you do rake DB reset every time you save a file. Yeah. I mean, that might be expensive. Uh, maybe not. Maybe it's not, but definitely every time you run rails S I mean, right. Right. And, right. and that might force you right. to Imagine. actually thinking about like, Oh, oh how, I keep making this admin three times. All right. Yeah. Make it in a factory, make it into a seed file or something like that. Like what are, what are my seed files? What are my scenarios? How yep. am I going to set this stuff up? No, it's true because the, the biggest rails app I worked on at Ted didn't have a good situation for this and they would do the dumps every so often and you it would be bad data because of all the issues between production environment and your own environment image urls wouldn't work it would just be a very weird awkward experience whereas like yeah um i had this other thought when i was working on the feature for the ember map video series wouldn't it be cool if there was some way so we talk about how we do like front end driven development and a lot of times we start with like new models on the front end and stuff, but sometimes the back end schema changes for other reasons. Like we add devices or we add video views, right? Mm-hmm. And those are back there. And as soon as we want to make a UI feature that consumes those, like those things already exist. It'd be pretty cool if when the back end builds the feature, there's a really easy way to just just get it in the front end in, in Mirage's format and like an Ember data model. Um, so I was thinking more, less from the Ember data side, more from, more from the side of, I'm ready to start consuming this data and adding a feature. What does my data look like? And what does a realistic scenario look like? Instead of having to pull down production data, let's say, mm-hmm. um, in the same way that if the, if you were like a well, like doing a good job as a rail programmer, I would pull down the rails app and I'd be able to run seeds and get representation null data of uh, uh, video views it would also be cool if that existed in my ember map mirage thing so that i could just say oh what happens like when i start building a page i'm just let me just start by getting all of the video views and i have this data to work with already that's like very representative because the back-end developers writing the test against that stuff and the logic they have the understanding of what the data model is going to be like let me uh let me speak on something i have no experience with and tell you why i'm right okay um, <laughs> when I was exploring this GraphQL stuff, there there's this concept of persisted queries, which you can you can basically write a type, and you can write it in your backend, and then you can run a command that basically fans it out to your UI or, or your services that will want to consume that data, hmm. and they reference them by name. So you would write a thing called like get all video views, mm-hmm. and you'd write this in the back end, and then you could give it to the front end, and the front end could just run this query called get all video views, and it would have all the data in there. So that's when you were talking, that's immediately mm-hmm. what I was thinking about, like this idea that like, okay, I've got my data model, I've got my database set up. Oh, and here, I'm also gonna write the query, the type, because the, the back end is gonna need to know 
how to fetch those. Maybe it's a resource. Yep. You know, I don't, I'm not trying to be specific, say this only yep. works with GraphQL, but yep. this idea where it's like, yeah, there's something uncomfortable about sh- sharing the models between right. front end and back end because right. they, they have different concerns. Right. They run in different environments. They have access to different sets of data. Right. So it's not exactly that, but there's something about like your, your resource or your type and your Ember data model. Are, those are kind of similar. The UI, yeah, the yeah. UI model and the resource yes. are almost the same. So I would be, I guess my, my answer to this is I'd be interested to know what, the how gra- far you can get with yeah, that. what the GraphQL folks that, that do those persisted queries and name queries, how they, how they share those. Cause I don't, I think it's more, yeah, I think like the queries are like signed and hashed. So I don't think you just say like, Oh, just call the video views query. Mm-hmm. I think you actually need like a build artifact. I see. Um, I think, I, I mean, I haven't like used this. GraphQL almost. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure. I don't know what it looks like. I yeah. use this, but, um, yeah, that was, that's immediately what it reminded me of. Pretty cool. Related to that, we were talking about, I was talking about on Twitter, I was asking for what kind of technologies are out there that encourage sharing of models between the front end and back end. Trek had replied, like, I never have seen this work or why is this a good idea? And after we went back and forth, we did kind of clarify, like, that is a nice, that's a nice, it would be nice to have some common language around this. Like you have your database records, and then you have your backend models, and then you have your resources, and then you have your UI models. Yeah. And the UI models and the backend models shouldn't be shared, but the UI models and the resources, it feels like there's so much the same there that they could be, one could be derived from the other, right? Yeah, I I, I, I totally agree. Do you guys like hash this out on Twitter? Not really. Okay. I think Trek only has so much patience for me. <laughs> Sorry, he just left and then went on something else. I was like, I'm waiting. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, uh, yeah, it's basically like it's, it's in the same way that Mirage can almost spec out an entire mock server just by looking at your UI models. Um, you know, it's a, it's a very similar thing. In the same way, like JSON API resources, resources are almost the same as the UI models, right? But then there's like points of insertion where you want to say, oh, actually, comments count is not an attribute. It is post.comments.count. Mm-hmm. Boom. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, be, I'd definitely be something, interested in something that's like JSON API resources, yeah. the Ember data models. Yeah. Especially with stuff like, um, this comes up all the time with like filtering. All right. Like yeah. Filter on the back end. And that'd be awesome if I could have like, I don't know what this API looks like, but mm-hmm. if I can have some, that same filter on the UI code. Right. So I could say like, um, you know, get me all my published posts and, you know, usually what does that look like? It's like a composable helper thing. That yeah. Like filters by is published, not is new. Cause I don't want chronic side stuff. Yeah. And so if there was just some way I could. As if you had access to the whole back end, you're saying kind of thing. Yeah. There's like, um, I guess so. Like better define this. There's there's certain uh, code that I would want to run on both an Ember data store and a database. Right. Um, like filter like, by filter by rollups and also too like knowing that like I might have like an incomplete picture of data. So like on the client, I might have things that like the backend doesn't know about that are persisted and on right. the, also on the client, I might not have a complete set of data. Right. I might only have page one of ten and, and so on. So. Right. It'd be cool to like, yeah, have terminology, I guess, that, that can communicate between those those two things. 
Super interesting. It's it's more than terminology. It's 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 a API for expressing explicitly the difference in in the same and what you want from the two environments. Because as we've talked about before, you want a lot of times you get rid of bugs by adding more um, expressive logic to your front end. So it's not just that you want all the tweets. It's not even that you want the first twenty tweets. You want, you want the first twenty tweets as of some date time. The is new thing. Yeah, exactly. So filter by is new. Exactly. Or reject by is new. And exactly. Then I write that on the client because you get that new record that yes. you didn't want to display. That's pretty interesting. What if you could? What if you could store dot find all tweet store dot. Um, find all server tweet, store out find all client tweet. So whenever you're saying, you know, if you want this to be all messages, it would be all known messages in Slack. Because as soon as you type in the client, you want to show it. So it's going to be store dot find all tweet, right? But um, in tw Twitter, do I say tweet? This means store dot find all message. But on Twitter, you only want to show the server tweets in the middle. When you tweet a new thing, it doesn't just append itself. It waits until it comes up in your feed. So that's actually serve. That's actually, I might have been misspeaking, but that's basically store dot, um, store dot find all server tweet, store dot find all both tweet, store dot find all client tweet or message or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I do. I think that, but I think this is where like terminology comes in where it's just like you want a way to express that. And then you could add a filter right. on any one of those things. And if it was all, it would apply to both client known. It's the universe of all tweets includes what? The server plus the client. Yep. And where they overlap, they're the same. But like, you still have conceptually two things because they're, they're disjoint sets because there can be elements in this one that are not in this one. And there can be elements in this one that are not in this one, right? Mm -hmm. there's, there's records on a server that the client doesn't know about. And then there's record on clients that the server doesn't know about. Yep. So they're disjoint. So... What does that mean? That means there's one part of the circles that are only client, only circle, and then both. It's a Venn diagram. Yeah. So you should be able to, you should be able to query all three parts of that diagram and apply the same filters to all three parts. So this is this is a part. This is a point I always get to, and I feel like I just slam into like a wall here, where the filter is like, okay, so we have some boolean, and it's like is published. Yeah. Okay, that's that's easy to apply to all three of those sets, right? Yeah. It's like everything, the Ember data store and the, the Postgres database, they just have fields, booleans, is published or false. What about like if the filter is like derived or it's like a synthetic, we call these like synthetic yeah. filters sometimes, where it's like, okay, this actually takes code. Like I have to look at... Let's think of an example. I have to look, it's, it's no longer is published, is true or false. I look at published date. And I did publish date is um, you know today or earlier. So so if the publish date is in the future, this post is not published. It will be published on that date. Yeah, but it's not published. So now I actually have to like write code to like compute the filter and, and the code in the front end and the back end is going to be different. And on the front end it's going to use like moment and like moment yeah. is after. And on the back end, um, I'm not going to have to use an external. JavaScript library because Rails is awesome and they I can just do like before now or whatever after. So I'm working with the Leo in language. <laughs> I actually just did this in Rails and in Moment. It was super easy in both. So. Yeah. But 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 there there's code that's running in two different environments in two different languages 
So it's not just as easy as sharing like is published true. And I, I, this is where I always hit that wall. And I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to duplicate the logic in the front and back end. Maybe that's fine. Maybe that's, maybe that is what you have to do. Um, if you're working with a synthetic attribute, then the API would tell you, have you implemented the, it looks like you, you have it, you're trying to run this on the client and you haven't implemented it. You have to implement it. You're trying to run this on the server and you haven't implemented it. But once you do, now you have the ability to apply that filter to that middle set. And maybe the implementation detail is like, they link up by IDs, like the filters are different, but you told me the response, like the return, the result set of this filter is this thing, so I'm going to trust that that's true. And it's like, as if I'm running the same filter on both sets. Yeah, it's not bad because I'm thinking about this as like code sharing. Code sharing, like I just want to write once and share it everywhere, but that's not, that's, no. that's not a problem. Yeah. I don't, that's yeah. Not, that doesn't need something. It's more, it's the, it's, I want the same. It's the, it's the new record showing up and your thing or your user being edited when you don't want that. You want the users in the background to be the server users, you know, but you want the messages in Slack to be both. So you want the middle thing for Slack, but in a form, most, a lot of web forms, you want this part to be the server and you want this part to be the client. So the way, awesome. yeah, the way I tackle this today, um, is like on the back end, I have some JSON API filter, so you have like a query param. I would just do filter like published true or, you know, whatever is published, whatever. Uh, and then on the front end I have, it's usually like some renderless component that like given this list of posts, apply this filter, and sometimes there's an API for applying the filter, so you pass like a POJO into it, or you use like that Ember's hash helper, mm-hmm. and it'd be like hash, publish true, and it would give you like, um, an awful job explaining this. Imagine you have like a, a renderless component that's like filter posts, and then it's like post equals posts, and yeah. filter equals, and it's like hash is published true, yeah. as filtered posts. Yeah. Um, so those are like the two ways I do this on the front and back end. But it feels very like, it doesn't feel like a formal. It feels like ad hoc. Like, oh, I'm going to, sometimes I'm going to write it. It's like you're refiltering them on the client because you might end up with more in the base set or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. There might be posts that get created on the client. There yeah. might be uh, just as data starts to come in. That's where I think, what if you could apply the filter explicitly to one of the three groups? Because then you would say, um, what, what, is, what is it, right? Is that enough for you to express what that is? Absolutely. I'm just, what would I be in this case? Both or the server? Just the server. Oh, both. Usually <clears throat> for this app that I've been working on, just operating on Amber Data Store. So it'd be both. Mm-hmm. It'd be like the set of, uh, no, no, it'd be the client. It'd be the client. The I just post or whatever? Yeah, I just have a, I have a, 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 a Ember Data Store with a bunch of posts in it and I want to display all the published ones. And you don't care about the back end? Post and publish in the back end? I do, but those get loaded in in the row. That's fine. That's what, but that's the point though. That's, that's, that's where the problem is. Yes. That you're in two different places. You want to be able to express that data in one way. Yes. At that level of the API. Yes. Just, just, I I want to repeat this. Yes. This is such a problem. Yeah. I'm thinking, when I'm writing the route, I'm thinking about how is the server going to give me all the published posts? And then when I'm writing the template, I'm thinking about how is this component going to get me all the published posts. And then those those implementations, they kind of look like wildly different. And it's like different every time. Like sometimes they use a service, sometimes they use a component. Sometimes I just can do it all in a template. So yeah. You need to be able to express that set 
of posts as a single query and then decide when you want that query to execute and you want that query to be able to run in both environments. So let's say you had, um, you know, resource.post.server and client dot where publish is true. Oh, your record doesn't have a published, is published Boolean. You need to implement a custom filter function. So you go to your model, you say that, and you say where published at is greater than today. You do that on the backend as well. Your backend throws an error when you try to filter by and doesn't have that. Now that you've implemented that in both places, um, you should that query is idempotent. You can just you I mean, can just I run it anywhere. It doesn't matter. Client side post is published. Server side post is published. Client yeah. and server side. Yeah. yeah, and 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 if that is truly the the expression of what that page should show, it shouldn't matter if you if anyone creates a post on the client or if any new post shows up on the back end and you real-time stream it in. If it's changing the interface in a way you don't want, the problem is you haven't expressed it correctly in the query. It's yeah. what we were talking about. Yeah. You want to imagine you're hooked up all the time to the entire server database. And if you describe completely what the set of posts should be in the UI, as if you had access to the entire server database and all client records, then you would do a filter by, whatever it would be, and you should be able to run that over and over again, it doesn't matter. Because that would avoid all this, this class of problems where like, oh, but once a user does this and clicks this and saves and then um, undoes or whatever, now the UI is wrong and I have to like, oh, filter by is a new truth. That's not, okay, okay. it's like the wrong model. Okay, so. so new store for an API? <laughs> <laughs> on, the, uh, on the server side, I do this, like I said, I do this in a filter. This yep. is like very clear that like, there's like a controller that gets an HTTP request and yep. it's, it's as a query param with this. And I can do all sorts of stuff. You can do name scope and rails. I can do, yeah, yeah all sorts of stuff. Um, where the, permissions or where roles, whatever. On the client, I feel like I don't, like, I kind of just ad hocly solve this, right. if you will. So, like, sometimes I make a component, sometimes I make a service, sometimes I do it in the route. Um, so but it should be at control. the query level, you know? The reason you but, do but, but, a, Where do I write... Filter. Do I like open the Ember data model? Yes. Right, like filter. Or you go to store. Like, yes, I would say. Let's say it's on store, and let's. What, what, like, what's the what would the, just an API for the rest of the episode be good? Like, I think on the model, right? Like, yes. Yeah, but home, but the, the, the high level API. It's like um, it's like store dot um, query server story dot query client story dot query all or query both. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Server and client. So you want your, at the model level, you, you want to block the route on this. So you're going to do a query in the model. You're going to do store.queryClientAndServer store or post, filter by, is published, true. And so that's all that should happen at the route controller template level. Yep. You, you shouldn't be bringing in any provider thing to try to filter, because you should be fully describing what data is relevant in that single query so that if either the server or client change, it can rerun at any yeah. time and it always works. So I, okay, so my next question is where, then, where, where do you actually mean? implement the filter? Yes, exactly. So then query client and server post is filtered true says, I don't know how to do that on the client model, so you haven't shown me how to do that. Of course, it doesn't know if the server knows how to do that. It won't know until it makes the request, but it does it on the client. And then it says, 
um, um, you need to implement store dot um, query post with it's like you need to do like pattern matching. It's like you're gonna you're gonna have something that's gonna be like store yeah, model, and you're gonna have a method that's like filter resource type, and then attribute, and then maybe by default it just delegates to a method on the model that's like um, filter by or something like yeah, that. Yeah, like you know your, mo- your model has a named export exactly like filter exactly. Okay, you know that's that's and that that's way interesting. <clears throat> that's a good escape hatch because that way if you need to like check the user's permissions to filter by like available um, countries, then you could just traverse your entire graph, whatever, it doesn't matter. If you had to make a network request to find, or whatever, like I don't know, but basically like you need to figure out, yeah, that's pretty interesting, right? You could do it with a network, you could make it async because maybe I need to find other data from the server to figure out if these client models belong in this set. Yeah. But like you answer that question in one place, it's pretty interesting. And then that way you get to describe the query in one query. And um, it can be rehydrated by any new client record or server record, and it's always up to date and accurate. It's like declarative and everything. It's pretty cool. And then you could just do that in a in a load records component too, like a load query or whatever. I kind of like this. Like, I think next time I have to do this, I will do some name export in the model or some whatever some function on the model. Can you like can you like reopen class on your Ember data model and add like a class method? So you can like capital P post. You can filter as a named export is pretty cool. Let's think how you would want to test this, like, because you get some pretty complex filters, right? So, like, let's think if you want to test this, like, I, you know, when I have a post that has an old published date versus earlier today, it um, shows up in my filter by is published subset. So, um, you just want to test it at the high level, right? Yeah. I think you could yes, just... Yes, I would. I, the implementation yeah. would be a function yeah. that takes a list of posts. It could just be a method on the model to start with. It could be like... It no, could just be like store instant, query. Instant, instant, instance methods. Yeah. Like operate on a single post. Can you? Can I add like a class That's method? That's fine. Like a static method on an ES6 class? Basically. Yeah, you can like like the equivalent of reopen class. Mm-hmm. I think Why? Can, just because that's how you think about it in Ruby, basically? Yeah, because this is a, a function that filters posts. Like this is a function that filters a collection of posts. What if it's a function that says whether the current post is in the set? Oh, interesting. Um, That's pretty interesting. Yeah. Is published. Sometimes you want to like pre-compute a bunch of values yeah. and then run your filter. You could. So like if you're if you're running each filter inside of a loop or uh, yeah, exactly. If you're running the, all the filter code. N times inside of a loop. It's fun. I don't know. Maybe I'm just like I don't care yeah, about yeah. yeah, exactly. I'm an Ember developer. I don't care about people. Things. That's why like my Ember side tail when the build adds like 25 seconds. It uses like CSF, like SAS, but maybe too. That's pretty interesting, dude. Why don't you go make it for me? I expect it on Monday. Well, it's funny that, that seriously, like that would have past few weeks of code. I've just been running into this and then, and then like things get complicated and we kind of like move the processing logic to the back end. Right. Um, but then you've lost a lot. You've yeah. Lost I just, I end up, it's more the question of like, when I need to do this, what is it a service? Is it a component? Right. Um, right. It'd be nice to have an answer. Yeah. One answer. Yeah. Yeah. And if you move it to the back end, there's no reason to re-implement it in the front end unless you need it, unless you ever need server.query. Uh, sorry, 
store.query server and client or store.query client. Exactly. If you don't need either of those, then you just you don't have to re-implement it on the client. Right. Because your backend could literally send out a Boolean that's like derived yeah. runtime. Exactly. It's like a Boolean that's like it's published true. Right. And then you whenever you if the client ever creates new records, it just never sets that property or whatever. You know what I mean? It yeah. just it never sets that and it therefore it should never be in that set or something like that. You know, I'm saying this with a lot of confidence, yeah. but then also too, like whenever there's a drift between these and then I need to like reconcile them, mm-hmm. it's always awkward. Mm-hmm. So maybe it is better to just... Well, let's just say, say you have a comments count on the post, right? You would never be able to... You could make the decision that you can never store.query client comments count is greater than 10 or something like that because... Yeah, well, you could, you could do that. It would just be on, basically you can never, you can do that, you just can't. It would just be an attribute. It would, yeah, it would exactly. just be an attribute. The, the That's filter, only hydrated by the server. The filter on the client side would be filtering the attribute. Yes, exactly. The filter on the server would be doing like a join. Exactly. An account in a group. Whatever. Account patch. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Okay. Nice. I will, I will report, I will, re- <laughs> I will try this and report back and then. In six months, I'll let you know how much technical debt I <laughs> Is this thing still running, by the way? Why don't you? Yeah, I'm going to do a little monologue while you log in. All right. I've been working on my Scottish accent, and um, today I'm going to be talking about. Oh. Ryan just got fired from Ember Map Inc. He's going to try to blame someone else, but don't let him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it'd be really good if you're in like a post-mortem and you're like yeah the server broke uh we're gonna go to sam now he's gonna try to blame x but but don't let him (laughs) um well we had our most brilliant insight of uh 63 episodes about a few minutes ago and you only heard the bad version of it (laughs) um that is cool though i think we should give that a shot there's more details to figure out there but i'm tired it's friday afternoon I'm ready to eat some mussels. We're going to go hit up some happy hours. Start our summer Fridays early. Is it officially summer yet? No, Memorial Day, right? Memorial Day, yeah. The only other thing I want to mention was, um, yeah, the Tailwind 1.0 stuff, or I mean the Ember Mirage 1.0. Tailwind 1.0 did come out. Um, It's kind of cool. We just happen to be working on the 1.0 stuff at the same time. Wait, can you you explain Tailwind 1.0? Yeah. in In a few sentences? Yeah. It's just finalizing APIs, making a few breaking changes, but then they did a bunch of, Adam and Steve did a bunch of work on the color palette and some things like that. Um, so it's just really even more polished than it already was. It was already super polished, but yeah. Speaking of the color palette, did they, did they, they're both Canadian. Did they remove the Canadian from the color palette? They did. Nice. They removed it. And there's like nine colors now instead of six or seven or something like that. So it's pretty cool. It's like two more shades of each color. And it's 100 awesome. through 900 instead of dark, darker, darkest. Oh, cool. Yeah. So you just bump up this, just like the type scale. Exactly. You know, I, I was thinking uh, one of the things we talk about is like um, beginners using the same tools as experts. Mm-hmm. And we talk about like Rails. Like mm-hmm. if you're like you're starting a new Rails app, you're using the same code that's powering GitHub. Mm-hmm. I mean, GitHub's obviously more complex, but right. but you're using the same tools. I was thinking about Tailwind, yep. and I was like, man, Tailwind like really fits into this. Really fits in. Because I'm using the same design stuff that Steve yeah. and Adam are using. Yeah. And those guys are really good at design. Yep. yep. That's a really good point. I love that. 
That got me real excited about Tailwind. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah, if you find out a company is like not using a major piece of the framework you're using, that's kind of a bummer. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but the fact that they're using it and everyone else is using it is good. So um, I have some plans to work on Ember CLI Tailwind after this Mirage stuff is over with because when I first wrote Ember CLI Tailwind, I didn't understand post-CSS, what it was for, how it, how it, its role played alongside Tailwind. And Tailwind is best used as a post-CSS plugin. So I think I'm going to upgrade Ember CLI Tailwind to just set up a bootstrap a post CSS plugin workflow in your app so that you are more responsible for that code, but you also have access to the pipeline because now you can add purge CSS, auto prefix or all that stuff. It also takes a lot of the responsibility off of Ember CLI Tailwind and makes it not a bottleneck for upgrading Tailwind anymore because you can just bump Tailwind CSS. And that's something that people have been wanting to do. We've already had to update Ember CLI Tailwind multiple times when Tailwind changes mm -hmm. and um, people have not been able to use 1.0. I mean, yeah, basically can't use it. So I think there's just a better way. I, if I built it today from scratch, I would do it differently. So I want to fix some of that stuff. Cool. If you were, if you were doing like a, a view app, would you, you would wire up Tailwind with post CSS? I think there's a view CLI Tailwind plugin that does it with view CLI, but yes, yes. That, if you're, that's what, if what, you're what Adam in, would tell you. Yeah, exactly. That, and that, if you're okay. in a React app, you would do the same thing. Cool. It's interesting. There's no way to use tailwind in a create react app without ejecting which is pretty crappy for whatever reason you can't get post css in there do most folks don't most folks folks eject you know i was just talking to someone so one of the reasons i've been focusing on the mirage 1.0 stuff is because we've been interested in trying to solve problems across all the frameworks and not you know working on solutions that are are good for everyone doing SPA development the way we're doing it. You know, we see a lot of people doing this and some people reinvent the wheels in some areas. And so we're kind of become more interested in how we can solve and share our solutions more generally. So one of the goals there is to make Mirage work outside of Ember and Mirage has always been coded to work apart from Ember and people have used it outside of Ember already. Um, but there's just some weird idiosyncrasies about the way it's coded that depends on Ember. But, you know, we've been working on getting it running in Express and Vue and React. And so I was uh, pairing with someone who used to do Ember and is now in a, in a React shop. This is also something we've seen with people that we work with and, and, and consult with and stuff where um, people and people who watch the videos, they kind of bounce back and forth. Like they'll be at an Ember job and then they'll go to a React job for a year and then they'll come back to Ember. It'd be nice if they could use Mirage in all those situations. Um, so I was chatting with someone and they did not eject. They built their skeleton version of a new React app that would support all the front end developers of their company with their metrics setup and their auth setup, but it was all on top of Create React app. So I think Create React app oh, has cool. become much more flexible since when it first was created. So I think people can get pretty far without ejecting, which is great. That's awesome. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I have also seen people just very uh, like, n you know, here and there lightly on Twitter saying like, ah, don't, don't ever eject. It's so painful. Like if you ever have to, it sucks because now you're off the path and you don't get the benefits of the upgrades that come to create React app. So the fact that you can't add, post css and tailwind to a create react app kind of sucks yeah and okay okay i, I wouldn't want that to be now. part of like a yeah. hello world kind of thing right yep 
So um, that requires more invest- investigation on my part. But all that to say, um, kind of as we round out here, if you have done Ember in the past or are familiar with the Ember Mirage workflow and have missed it and wanting it in a different environment like a React app or a Vue app or whatever, just um, DM me on Twitter or message me on Discord or email me at some sam at embermap.com because I'm trying to have as many of these conversations right now as possible to learn about pain points in those other work uh, environments, how other communities build SPAs, get local environments set up for development and testing, and um, share API contracts. So th- those are the kind of the problems we're interested in solving next. So um, uh, yeah, if that's you, definitely reach out to me. Cool. We got we got to end this because something's going on with our uh, recorder. I was going to say let's pause, but this, this is a good little forcing function. So, <laughs> um, thanks for joining us. Uh, if you want to find out show notes, you can go to embermap.com/podcast, and we'll see you in the next one. Bye. Thank you.